text of Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, starting at verse 11. And in the Church Pew Bible, it's on 1035. Jesus raises a widow's son. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart cried out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. This is God's word. privilege to come and speak to you all today. Um, I've admired Muttley from afar. Um, We over in Totnes, uh, it's an interesting church. Uh, It's it's a wonderful church. We love the place. It's a spiritually very interesting place. It it makes for a very interesting place to do church. And um, we send our greetings. Um, I have a wife called Mary and three little daughters. Um, and they all send their love, so it's nice to come and speak to you. I've had a little bit of interaction with Muttley people before coming here. Um, I first met some Muttley people in a time of real crisis in my church. A good friend of mine, Mike Marklew, had an enormous heart attack. Um, Heart stopped, was rushed to Bereford, and... uh, he was in intensive care, and I remember going to visit him with my father-in-law, who was the pastor at that time, and the two of us sat in the waiting room, and some wonderful people came up and looked after us in the waiting room, and they gave us tea and biscuits and just a really warm welcome, and there was just something about their calming pastoral presence that was just wonderful, and I noticed, I recognized them, I thought, these people don't work here, these are Christians. I spotted the family resemblance. There was something in, the, in this woman that was just shining of God. And then when we told her who we were and we were coming to visit our friend from church, she was like, oh, you're Christians, I am too, I'm from Mutley. So we discovered that she was a Christian. And we prayed together before I went in there to see Mike. And uh, I remember it was a really distressing time. They were trying to get a response out of Mike. And the way they do that is they inflict pain and see if they flinch. So they're doing really horrible things like putting a marker pen between his toes and then pulling his toes together and sticking their fingers in his eyes. And now this is all good medicine. This wasn't just some, some crazy thing they were doing. Um, but there was no response out of Mike at all. And when you opened his eyes and looked into his eyes, I remember looking in there, and it was like looking into a dead fish. It, I just thought, this man is not at home. He's, he's somewhere else. I believe, I, at that point I thought, you've gone to be with the Lord, 
and you're just being mechanically kept alive. And so my prayers on that day changed from, Lord, would you heal Mike to, Lord, we're looking at a resurrection here. Lord, would you raise him up from death because he's no longer here. And uh, our church got on their knees and we really prayed for Mike. And to our amazement, a week later I was chatting to Mike, sat up, sat up in bed. Uh, he was back with us. He, he hadn't recovered all his faculties um, at that point. He still hasn't recovered all of them. Um, but he is up, he is well, he has a good quality of life. He still leads worship in our church. He's able to play the piano. Uh, and it was just such a powerful turnaround from what I saw in the hospital that day to God raising him up. And then there's some more people that pitched up in our church just before Christmas called the Tomlinsons. Does anyone know David and Rachel Tomlinson? Because they were worshipping here for a bit and we stole them. Yes, we did. Um, and we're delighted we did because they're lovely people and they decided they wanted to come in the Totnes direction um, on Sundays because they work in Dereford. Now, Dave was his cardiologist. He was the one working on Mike during the uh, operation and still sees Mike now to make sure everything's okay. And Rachel was the rehab consultant getting him back on his feet and getting him going. So they both know Mike really well. And they sort of came to our church and walked into a church who who just carried this powerful testimony of the resurrection of Mike Markley. And they were some of the people that God used to do it. Thank God for our medical people. They are wonderful. But they were Muttley people before they were Totnes people. And I just wanted to say, it's been, every encounter I've had with Muttley people so far has been good. And so it's, it is a privilege to come and speak to you. Now, you've been making your way through the book of Luke, right? So you come through the Sermon on the Plain, and we've now hit Luke chapter 7. And in Luke chapter 7, we've got three encounters that Jesus has with people. Three encounters that a good rabbi probably shouldn't have. They are controversial, to say the least. The first one is Jesus decides to go and respond to the request to, re- to heal a centurion's servant. And we all know the opinion that Jewish people had of Rome at the time of Christ. This centurion was part of the occupying force. He was a Gentile. He was a pig in the eyes of Jewish people. And Jesus responds and goes to heal this man's servant. And then, of course, he stands up when he hears that the, the, uh, the centurion has such great faith that he, is, that he believes that if Jesus just says the word, because he has authority and people will respond to his authority, situations will respond to his authority, he just needs to say that word and his servant will be healed. And Jesus stands up and says, truly I have not found faith in all of Israel like I have found in this Gentile. What a controversial statement. He then goes and ruins a funeral procession which is what we're looking at today, and and brings it to a halt. A good rabbi shouldn't do that. They should be sensitive. I know I'm a Baptist minister. You're not supposed to walk into someone else's funeral and stop proceedings. And then he allows a prostitute to demonstrate incredible affection to him, physical affection to him at a posh dinner party with clergy. You're not supposed to do that either, are you? And yet there was something in Jesus that drove him to do each of these things, and each time we see this incredible demonstration of the compassion of God. 
So here we are in the middle of Luke and chapter 7, verses 11 to 17. Now, we've had it read for us already, but I want you to try and get your imaginations into the stories in order to be able to understand what Jesus was doing here. So just picture the town of Nain. This is a small farming town, and there has been a gross tragedy in this town. This young man has died way before his time. And what is even worse is that his father had died some years before. And this young man, this fine, young, strong man, had been trying to hold his family life together ever since. Imagine he's, say, 21. And he's trying to work his father's small patch of land, gleaning wisdom from some of the other farmers in the town. He, he gets up early. He works hard. He does everything that he, he saw his father doing and that the other people can help him with. And he just about brings in the harvest, enough to keep the Romans off his back, with paying taxes and to put food on the table for him and his mum. And some, for some tragic reason, this boy has been lost. And this woman, his mother, has been left destitute with nothing. Now the synagogue in the centre of town is absolutely jam-packed to pay their respects for this young man. The square outside the synagogue is rammed with people. There are even people crowding into the streets that are Joining onto the square, the whole town has turned out because it's a close-knit community and this is just a day of disaster. And they come to pay their respects. Jump back a few days. 20 miles away, Jesus is just finishing his sermon on the plain. Every day in this summer school of his, more and more people come to the crowd because they want to hear these beautiful words that are falling from this man's lips. It is like the very words of God are being spoken out in the open. And he is touching the very real needs of their lives. And so every day the crowd is swelling and swelling as Jesus preaches. And as he comes to the end of the Sermon on the Plain, he he sort of packs up his things. He says, right, we're going. And some people come from the centurion's house and says, will you come? Uh, This this centurion is an honorable man. And he's built our synagogue for us. Would you come and heal this man's servant? He wants to see his servant well. So Jesus, expected to say no, he's outside of Israel, instead says, I'll come. Not because of their brilliant sales pitch, but because something in him says, this is something I need to do. And so he makes for the half-day journey towards the centurion's house. Well, the whole crowd who have just heard this incredible teaching are wondering, what is this man going to do? So they follow him to the centurion's house. And while they're still a little way off, some officials come out of the centurion's house and they say to Jesus, don't come any further. Our master says, he is not worthy for you to come under his roof. He too is a man under authority and has people in author- under his authority. To this one he says, goes, and he, he goes. To this one he says, come, and he comes. To this one he says, do that, and they do it. Just say the word, and I know my servant will be well. Jesus is flabbergasted. The whole crowd are at a standstill. He finds a raised place like what I'm standing on now. He uses it as a teaching opportunity and says, Truly I say to you, in all Israel, I have not found faith like I have found in this Gentile. There's a murmur that goes out across the crowd. They're not all that happy with this. And as they're discussing amongst themselves, what on earth could this man be saying? Surely faith belongs to Israel. There is a, someone comes running from the centurion's house to bring the report that the slave, the fever has left him, 
He's back on his feet. He is completely healed in his right mind. And a, a huge murmur then goes across the crowd with, with the old kind of, whoa, this is, what has this man done with a word? Everyone's a bit not sure what to do next. But Jesus, sensing that he's got to go somewhere else, gathers his things and sets out on a road. He's heading towards Nain. And as the, the throng, is, the crowd is very big now because there's been news of this healing. There's people from the centurion's area that, because he was a famous man in the area that built the synagogue. They've heard what's just happened to his servant, that this man Jesus has just risen in from his deathbed. And so now the crowd is big. It's a big crowd. And they are coming down the hill towards this small town of Nain, just as the whole of Nain is coming out of the city gates. Two crowds meeting just outside Nain. I don't know what the people in the, in the, the funeral procession thought of this enormous crowd about to descend upon this town coming down the hill. And some kind person comes out of the funeral procession and meets Jesus, who seems to be the leader of this funny rabble of people, and he says, could you please just stop where you are? Could you be very sensitive? A massive thing's happened in our town. We don't want this disrupted. We're going to bury a, a bright young spark of our town that has died an untimely death. Could you just pay a bit of respect here and let us go about our business? And Jesus' attention is up. He looks across the crowd and he can see the, the casket being carried on the shoulders of some men with a, some linen draped over the top. And then he sees the woman, the mother. And she's surrounded by people. She is weeping uncontrollably. She's about to commit her son to the earth. And she knows that there's very little hope for her. As he sees the woman, something within him just breaks. Something in the, which is unique to the compassion of God just wrenches his spirit. And Jesus goes. And everyone's saying, what's he doing? He's, he's off. He's walking. The, and the disciples follow him because they've seen enough to know that Jesus is up to something, but they're really hoping this time it's, it's, it's going to work out because you don't want to just go and wreck a funeral. So Jesus goes, and who does he go to first? He goes to the mother. And he goes to the mother, and he takes his hands in her hands, and he looks into his eyes, and he says, Woman, have faith. Don't weep. Don't weep. And there's something in the way that he says it inspires confidence in this woman, that this man is somebody to be trusted. And just a spark of hope, a little ray of hope, just begins to light in her heart, in her soul. Jesus then, having steadied mum, goes to the front of the crowd where the casket is, and he puts his hand on the casket. Not surprisingly, the bearers stand still. What is this man doing? Everyone turns to see what is going on. This funeral procession has just been completely disrupted. And Jesus, in a loud voice, with his hand on the casket, says, Young man, I say to you, arise. There is silence, deadly silence, until there's a shuffle inside the casket. Clearly, there is some, this young man is beginning to struggle inside the casket. First, there's an elbow, then another elbow, and he pulls himself up and starts fighting the burial cloths off his face, which is traditional in Jewish culture. He'd been wrapped up. So he's fighting with the burial cloths, trying to get them off his face. The bearers awkwardly put the casket down. Jesus lends a strong hand to this young man, and then he says, come on, up on your feet. Are you okay? And the man confused 
with the whole of his town staring at him in awe, says, yeah, I think so. Jesus helps him to step out of his casket, calls mum over, and mum falls on his neck, and the two are reunited. Uncontrollable crying. There's a murmur that goes across the crowd. They don't know what to make of it until somebody just went, Yes! And the place goes wild. What was lamenting and dirges turns into celebration. They sort of say, Surely a prophet has arisen amongst us. God has visited his people. Salvation just impacts that town, and there is incredible joy. The party goes on for days. What a story. What a fantastic story. And what I love about these stories is that it doesn't just include just the details of what happens. It gives you a glimpse into God and how he works. What is important to God? How God likes to move. How Jesus likes to move. There is a verse. Luke 7.13 which has just hit me so hard this week, and it's, it's, the, it's the sum total of my message. We're going from verse 12. Now, he approached the gate of the city, and a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her, and he said to her, Do not weep something in this compassion word. Why did they put that detail in? Why didn't they just say, he went, he went, he said to her, do not weep, then he put his hand on the casket. Why this? He felt compassion for her. This was an event. This was something powerful that happened when Jesus felt this compassion. How many of you know that our God is an incredibly compassionate God? Our God is a God full of compassion. I did a study just on the Psalms. Listen to this. Psalm 86, verse 15. You, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God. You are slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Psalm 103, there's three of them. Praise the Lord, my soul, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Psalm 111. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Psalm 116. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. Full of compassion. Psalm 119, verse 156. Your compassion, O Lord, is great. Psalm 140, but you're getting the picture. Psalm 145, verse 8. And we made a song out of this, didn't we? The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. What's the next bit? And the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. No, I won't won't carry on. Um, I'll spare you the chorus. But compassion... 
Our God does not carry around a little bit of compassion. He is like a reservoir. He is. He is full to overflowing with compassion. When our God sees suffering, he is not indifferent in any way. Our God is a compassionate God. And Jesus, he was like a walking reservoir. He is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Hebrews 1 verse 3. And time and time again, we see Jesus moving in response to a a huge stirring of compassion in him. I did another study on this. Matthew 14, 14. It says this, And Jesus went forth, and he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion towards them, and he healed their sick. Matthew 15, 32. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people, because they've remained with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, because they might faint on the way. 4,000 people got fed that day. Matthew 20 and verse 34. So Jesus had compassion on them, and he touched their eyes, and immediately they received sight, and they followed him. Wonderful. Mark 1, verse 41. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was clean. Mark 6, 34. And Jesus saw the people and he was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them. Incidentally, 5,000 people got healed, got, got fed that day. Absolutely amazing. Time and time and time again, we see this stirring of passion, of compassion in, in the belly of Jesus, and then he moves to action. I think probably one of the most powerful times when Jesus talked about compassion is in the parable of parables, the prodigal son. Well, there's that moment, isn't there, in Luke 15 and verse 20, where the father sees his son on the horizon, his son that he's longed for. And something within the father just snaps, and he goes. And we know that landowners in that culture are not supposed to run. It's undignified. But you know what? When he was after his boy, I reckon he vaulted the fences. He went. He didn't have to make a decision. He was desperate. Something in him snapped, and he went for his boy. That is a kind of compassion that maybe we understand. That when something grabs your heart, and it's almost like an involuntary reaction. You've just got to go. That is what God's compassion is like. That is a picture of how God's compassion is. It just kind of rises up. It's like a fire that breaks out. He was desperate. Now this word... This whole message is hinging around this word compassion because I believe that's what the whole story is hinging around. God's compassion, the way he reaches out with compassion. The word compassion, do you know what the Greek is? It's splanknos. And it actually means bowels. Sorry to get a little bit biological. But actually, the root word is bowels. Jesus had a stirring in his bowels. How many here know what it is to have a bowel movement? We all know what it is to have a bowel movement. I believe the Holy Spirit 
chose that word because it was common to all of us. How many of you know that when you have a bowel movement, there is something you need to do about it? Something's going to happen and you need to take action. Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble. Jesus had a faculty within him that could set him off and let his mind know that something was about to happen. Something deep within his, his being, his spiritual bowels, <laughs> would let him know that something was going to happen. It's an extraordinary thing. The question I have for us this morning is, are we supposed to have that same faculty? Is that common to every believer? Or is this something unique to our wonderful Son of God? Well, I want to argue that this is something which every believer should be able to possess. I always often turn to the early church when I look at, should there be a pattern that comes from Jesus, that then a gift that was given from Jesus to the church, how did they operate? Because when we go back to the roots, we understand what the norm is for Christians. Anything that has moved away from that norm has, is foreign. It is actually not true to what God would have us be and do as church. So I want to come back to the early church and say, well, what did it look like there? And you can definitely see the compassion ministries there. They were definitely looking after their widows, weren't they? In Jerusalem, they had to uh, employ more people. They had to bring on people full of faith and the Holy Spirit to administer the food parcels to the widows. And there was a few disputes in there as well. That's quite normal as well, isn't it? But yeah, the compassion ministries were there. They were also collecting for the people in Judea, where there was a famine there. And the whole church pulled together to, to look after the believers in Judea. But what I love is that there was always also these moments where the compassion of God broke out. Like with Peter and John, when they were on the way to the temple, and they passed the gate beautiful, and they saw the man there calling out for arms. Please, sirs, can you spare any change? His plight was pretty poor. And it says in Acts chapter 3, it says they fixed their eyes upon him. Something about this man caught their attention. And they had compassion on him. They couldn't just walk past. They had to do something. That stirring within them went off. They looked at each other, knowing both of them were feeling the same thing. They went over to him and said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, stand up on your feet. And the man, his legs were strengthened, and he stood up on his feet. They did exactly what Jesus did. A breakout of compassion. Now, didn't Jesus say that if we believe in him, that out of our innermost being would flow rivers of living water? And this he spoke of what? Of who? The Holy Spirit. His intention is for us to flow with the Holy Spirit. And not to quench the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit wants to do something. Did he not say after the resurrection that you are going to do the same works as me and greatest things will you do if I go to the Father? Did he say that? John 14 and verse 12. You and I are supposed to possess the same faculty that Jesus had. You don't believe me? Let's turn, with, uh, turn to 1 John and chapter 3 and verse 17. It 
says this, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 17. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Some interesting words in there. You know that word heart closes his heart against him? Guess what word that is? That's spanknos. Should be trans- or could be translated bowels. And that word closes or shuts, has no pity or shuts his pity off from his brother. It's, a, it's like a word to close down, to shut down or to lock up. So it could read like this. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts down his bowels against him, how does the love of God abide in him? John is clear. He's in no doubt that those who claim to have the love of God in them and be followers of Jesus, they are the ones who possess this ability to be compassionate. We have the spiritual bowels of God in his compassion. We have the compassion of God as a gift in us if we are believers. Well, then there's another part to this, isn't there? And this terrifies me. We are able to shut it down. Whoever sees that person in the point of need and closes down that faculty of compassion within us, how can the love of God be in us? That shakes me up a little bit. Because you know what? I think I'm a bit of an expert at shutting down that faculty. And here's how it goes. We see something. Something moves us. Something hits us really hard and we say, you know what? It shouldn't be like that. God wants to do something for this situation. And then a little monologue just goes off. Well, this is not now. Not here. This person is under somebody else's responsibility. I am just one person. I don't have the resources to meet this person's need. Surely the government should, or their family should, or surely it's such a massive problem and it's overseas. I am but one person. What is my little effort going to do to change things? And we shut down and disable that God-given gift. I do. I know we all can. And I don't want to be like that. Do you know what? I, as I was reading this, I just thought, time is too short to get rid of this gift that God has given us, of a movement of compassion in our lives. God is too busy. He's got too much to do. And he wants to use us to do it. Time is too short. I don't want to get good at shutting that down. I already am. What I want to do is reverse it. I want to get good at noticing in my spirit when I notice something that grabs my heart and I have a movement of compassion in my belly. Because for Jesus, I believe it was an indicator that God wanted to do something in the situation. So however under-resourced we feel, however ridiculous it might feel for us to be able to stretch out our hand or just step forward to do something in the situation, I want to be the sort of person like Jesus was to say, I feel it, God. I know you feel it. This is from you. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to move. And I'm going to trust that you are going to provide the resources to do something in this situation. I'll finish with a present-day great example of this. Who, who's heard of John Kirkby? Hands? A few people. Yeah, my entourage has. 
Yeah. Well, John Kirkby is the founder of Christians Against Poverty. And he, he started out as a broken man. He, his life was ruined with unmanageable debt. And uh, he, he was thankfully able to deal with his own debt problems because he was, his career was in the financial sector. So he was able to ring up his creditors and be able to negotiate repayment plans. So he was all right. But he worked really hard to set up his own budget, to set up his own plan, and then he, uh, he was able to work his way out of debt. And as he did so, he felt God say, there are other people who are struggling that don't have the gifts that you have. And so he decided to go door to door and just ask people, do you have a problem with debt? And door after door after door in Bradford, they were saying, yeah, it's a nightmare. My life is in tatters. And with just his pad, he would start to take down their details and hear their life story. And he would try and set up budgets for them and ring their creditors and and work out ways of, of repaying their debts. And some of the stories just broke his heart. There were people who were had been washing their hair with a sham- little bit of shampoo, li- uh, sorry, washing up liquid for weeks and weeks, who were having to choose between heating their houses in winter and putting food on the table, who were having to send their kids to steal from lost property at school because they couldn't afford to buy new games kits, who were crawling past their windows because if the bailiffs saw them in, they knew that the hell would begin again. And so they just kept the lights off all the time and crawled past the windows. And something in him just broke. And he said, I've got to help these people. And then armed with a £10 donation in the back room of his, his, his one little bed set, he founded Christians Against Poverty. And today, that small beginnings little venture is helping more people with debt problems in this country and just doing a phenomenal job of seeing lives transformed. Thousands of families getting out of debt and coming to faith. He responded to something in his gut that says, not on my shift. I cannot stand by and watch this anymore. He had a Popeye moment. I've taken all I can stand and I can't stand no more. He had that kind of moment where he says, no more. And he acted upon it with with the little that he had. Now, we're not all John Kirkby's, are we? But we are people who have the ability to see and to act and to act with the Lord. And I believe that just through simple people like you and through me, God can do wonderful things like he did for this widow in name. And it may mean stepping out and stopping making those excuses, because Jesus didn't make those excuses, did he? It may mean sucking up our courage and doing something which is a little bit controversial, a little bit taboo, a little bit of breaking out of the normal stride. But God wants to use you. And when you feel that stirring in your gut, know that that is an indicator. It is not just a human emotion. Ask God, Lord, is this from you? Because if it's from you, I am stepping out. I'm going to do something. Show me what I have in my hand to make a difference in this situation. And I believe that as you do that, the resources of God, the power of God goes with you because God is a compassionate God, and he loves to use you to touch another person's life. Amen? Now, if you find, as I'm speaking, you just think, actually, do you know what? I'm a little bit hard-hearted. I recognize that I have become too good at shutting this down. I want to encourage you, let today be a day of repentance. The most powerful gift, gift that God has given for us to turn our lives around 
is a gift of repentance. It just means recognizing, confessing, I have become hard-hearted. I've shut down this faculty in my life. It means turning to God and realizing how God loves to be. Say, God, I want to conform to your image a bit more. I want to live like Jesus a bit more. I want this gift of the Holy Spirit that is mine in Christ to be mine once again. Would you thaw my heart and make me responsive? Turn and face God again and ask him for the gift. And I'm going to pray. And as, as we pray, let's just be asking the Holy Spirit just to release those wells of compassion once again. And I'm going to be here for as long as I need to as well. Uh, myself and Matt and Liz, we're here, we're, we're visitors amongst you. If you want prayer for this, you think, actually, I've got a real problem here. We want to pray. And we want to ask God for a, a, a powerful encounter for you to be able to release the flow of compassion in your life again and to release you to do the things that Jesus did. Amen? Let's pray together and then we'll sing. Lord Jesus. Lord, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for the details in your word that don't just tell us what you did, they tell us how you did it and what happened. They give us a window into your soul. They give us a, an understanding of how you work and how you long for us to work. You, you've called us as partners in this harvest. You long for us to do the things that you do. And so, Lord, today, I just ask you right now, by the power of your Spirit, would you just stir the hearts in this room? Those of us who in this room who are already moving in compassion and have noticed this connection between the stirring in their hearts and God doing something special. Lord, would you strengthen that and would you increase it? I pray that it would be a daily experience. For those of us who are feeling hard-hearted, Lord, and that we have just left something behind and we've lost something. Lord, I just pray that right now you would give these gifts. Give the faculty of being able to know when you and your compassion are stirring in our lives, when we see something and you're moving, I pray that we would know it. And we would know that you're about to do something and it would motivate us to get out of where we are, to break out of our mold, stretch out our hands and see your glory go forth. Would you do this for your glory and in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.